0: Shalom. Welcome to the new millennium edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Devarim, Deuteronomy, to the third chapter at verse 23. The Hebrew name for this portion is called Ba'ekhanan, And it comes from verse 23 where it says, And I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, I pleaded with the Lord. And this little first part in this portion really doesn't foretell what the whole portion has for us because of all of the various Torah teachings that we have in the Scripture, this one is loaded with topics that we could spend literally a lifetime really covering. We could take any number of about a half a dozen to seven teaching topics in this portion and concentrate on them just in a single teaching session. And so the first portion, which really begins with Moses recounting for us how he pleaded with God that he would be permitted to cross over the River Jordan and go in to see the land... But yet he's prohibited from doing so by the Lord that he must stay on that side of the Jordan. He's permitted to go up on a mountain and to see the land of Israel, but he's not permitted to go into it. I don't know if you've ever really stopped and thought for just a moment, but if you kind of put it in perspective, let's take Moses's point of view here. This is kind of a bum deal. I mean, you know, Moses has only been living for 120 years, 40 years in Egypt, and then... He gets to spend 40 years in Midian, and then he comes back and brings the children of Israel out of Egypt, and he spends 40 years in the wilderness, and he's the guy who's given us the Torah, brought Israel out, saw the hand of God. This is the guy that had the burning bush experience, and you'd think if there's one guy in this whole crew that would get to go over the River Jordan and go into the land of Israel, surely it would be Moses, and it's a little bit like you get all dressed up, you go to the dance, and uh, you don't even get to dance and it really puts a kind of an interesting perspective and it is a counsel to us for those who would answer the call of god to go and serve god it tells you something about your relationship with god and that is that god is still god i don't care how good a leader you think you are i don't care how much you do by the hand of god god remains god And it's from this that Israel has taken the lesson not to put too much honor on Moses. Stop and think about this for a moment. We ought to have just Moses absolutely dropping off our lips every time we mention about the Lord, especially from Israel's standpoint. Talk about a hero in the life of Israel. Moses certainly would stand right up there. He does receive some honor. You know, he is the one who brought the Torah forth. He's the greatest prophet of the Messiah. There's been no prophet like Moses, you know, before. He's the only one that got to go up on the mountain, you know, and actually deal with the Lord directly. His relationship is described by the Lord himself as that I spoke with Moses face to face. Other prophets, I talked to them through dreams and visions. I moved them with my spirit. But Moses, I came down in the cloud and I just, and Moses and I had a little conversation. So you would think, that Israel, we would just be breathing Moses everywhere, Moses this and Moses that, but it's not true that we do that. In fact, it's from this portion that we refrain from giving too much honor to Moses because we know that there's a certain point where maybe we could give too much honor to a man and we wouldn't learn the lesson that we're really, really supposed to be dealing with the Lord. And that's, I think, part of what Moses teaches us here in this portion is that the duty of all those who would answer the call of God to teach, to lead, it's not to bring honor upon themselves, it's not to cause brethren to favor that man, that teacher, but rather to do a baton pass and make sure that that person is handed to the Lord and so that your real hero is the Lord out of this. And so the Lord probably was wise in knowing what Israel would do with Moses and by literally Having him stop there at the Jordan, it ensured that the children of Israel walked into the land by the hand of the Lord. I would want you to take note of one thing. I know there's a day coming when Moses will go to the land. There is a day coming when Moses will go to the land, and I believe that he'll walk side by side with the Messiah into the land, and we'll all get to be there and see that not only the day we get to go to the land, not only the day we get to see the Messiah, but we'll get to see Moses walk in with us. You know, when we go to the land in the future. Amen. Now we come to that portion of which is early the name of the book, Deuteronomy, which is called the repetition of the law, because Moses begins his next discourse in chapter four by saying, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform in order that you may live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. And he says, you shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Well, you know how a scripture is sometimes. It's a little bit like a parent. You know, if a parent says, son, don't do this, that is the thing the son will do. And the Lord has said, do not add to the word, nor take away from it. I really like the sages' explanation of this second line, nor take away from it, by saying the following. They say that the Torah is a little bit like a mountain. It peaks way up, and the perfect Torah is to be on the height of this mountain. If you take away from the Torah, it's like you didn't climb all the way up. You didn't get all of it. And if you add to it, you go over the peak and you go down again. It's like you've got to leave it alone. Leave the mountain alone. Leave the Torah alone. Just let the Torah be what the Torah is. Don't take away and don't add to. Well, brethren, if there's ever been a word that has been abused in this world, this surely is it. In the shorter rendition of this, let me just mention very briefly that from a Jewish perspective, when we look at the Torah, many Torah scholars will refer to it, as the words that we actually see on the page is what we call black fire. In other words, if you see the ink on your page of your Bible, that's the black part. And have you ever heard the expression reading between the lines? Have you ever heard that expression before? That comes from Torah teachers, ancient Torah teachers. And that's where they got the idea we get to teach more than what the Torah says because we're reading between the lines. And the paper part or the parchment part of the scroll, there's a lot more parchment than there is ink on the page. On your Bible. There's way more white, if you will, on the page than there is black of the ink. And so we call that the white fire. Black fire, white fire. And so essentially what they say is this, is that these are the words that come from the Torah, but the word of God that would come from the Torah is that is when the Torah teacher steps into the pulpit and he speaks the words between the lines, the white fire. And actually they teach that is the word of God. Now we know that's not true. The word of God is clearly what Moses wrote. It's not the commentary, it's not the explanations, that's not the Word of God. That's teaching and that's commentary. And there's nothing wrong with commentary and there's nothing wrong with teaching to help bring insight and so forth. But it's a little bit like, you know, we learned the lesson not to follow Moses but to follow the Lord, but now we turn around and now we won't even listen to the words of Moses. Instead, we want to hear the words of someone else. And that's really what Israel Israel's great spiritual mistake has made, and I believe it's a common spiritual mistake that's made. If we have a choice to actually hear the voice of God, have you ever done that? Have you ever in your life some quiet secret moment in your spiritual walk you said, oh God, you know, I'd really believe in you if, I, if you just talked to me once. Or give me a sign. You know, like I remember as a kid, I said, God, just make a light. Just not too bright, but just a light. And then I'll know you're for sure there. You know, many men have said, if I could just hear the voice of God, then I would believe. No, they won't. No, they won't. You won't do that. You won't believe because of that. Because I'm here to tell you, there is a whole generation that did hear the voice of God, and they still didn't believe. In less than 40 days, they made a golden calf. And they said, this golden calf brought us out of Egypt. It was 40 days they had heard the voice of God from the mountain. And there are many testimonies. and I'm sure there's some even in our assembly today. I have heard the voice of God. I've heard the voice of God. Shook me up. It was a very, very dramatic event in my life. But it's not the thing that stirs me and really gets me to believe it. it I, I can't divorce myself from the rest of the instruction. This is a walk. This is not an instantaneous thing. Faith comes by walking and not by seeing, and not necessarily with the proof of this material world. You walk forward and you keep walking. You keep walking. And you keep going as you go through it. I'll recount to you just a personal story. I'm sure there's others in the assembly that could recount to them. But it had a profound effect on my life. I was a young man. I was on a trip. I was uh, traveling to San Diego. I was in the Navy at the time. And I was driving through Arizona. had a little Corvair convertible. Back in the days when Corvairs were really hot things for young men to be driving around. And I was driving through the desert uh, in the summertime, and I went through it in the evening because I knew it was pretty hot. And as I was going through there, young man, like I was, I had been driving a long time, and I fell asleep at the wheel. Fell asleep. Only to wake up hearing the sound, the tonal quality of my father and he called me by a name that only my father had personally had given me you know my name's Monty but I had a nickname for my father and he only used it in my presence when we were alone he called me Bud and this voice said to me in the most loving and yet firm very commanding way Bud wake up Bud wake up and man, I jolted right to wake and I saw myself going off the highway and I steered back onto the highway and I was out there all by myself and, and I, I went ahead and I pulled the car over. I realized I was, you know, I, I needed to wake up. I needed to get up, get moving. And so I got out of the car and I was kind of shaking and then it hit me. What woke me up? I went, oh my goodness, that, there wasn't any doubt in my mind. That was the Lord. To this day, I have no doubt in my heart whatsoever. The love, the firmness, Just the strength of the voice that I heard that spoke to me. And I really had the sensation I'd heard it with my ears. And I really believe I did. And it was that moment I was like, I was thinking about that a whole lot more than I was thinking about the possibility of had I rolled that car or driven off the road or whatever would have happened. That wasn't really gripping me. The thing that was gripping me was I had heard the voice. And then I made a mistake. I looked up. And it was very dark there in the desert. There wasn't any light except the light of the stars. And they were brilliant out there in the desert, being away from all the lights. And I looked up and I saw the immenseness of heaven. And it literally just dropped me right there. Not only had I heard the voice, I was in his presence. I couldn't even stand. It wasn't fatigue. I was overwhelmed. And I literally was trembling for the next several hours as I drove back. I had had a taste of the fear of the Lord, as well as hearing him and sensing his presence. The reason why I think the Lord gave me that experience is because this piece of instruction in the Torah from Moses is trying to emphasize something in particular about our faith. The repetition of these words... In fact, if you'll look over just a little bit further in chapter 5, Moses repeats the very words that God spoke by his voice from the mountain and all of the children of Israel heard these words. Let me repeat the reading of that for you. And the tradition is is that once we begin the reading, we do not end until we finish with all that God said. We don't interrupt the Lord. So if you would turn with me now and look with me from verse 6 of chapter 5 and let us read. These were the words that the children of Israel heard. This was the voice of God from the mountain in the midst of the fire and the smoke and this is what they heard beginning at verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God, In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you so that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be prolonged, and that it may go well with you on the land which the Lord your God gives you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then Moses said, these words the Lord spoke in all of your assembly at the mountain, from the midst of the fire, of the cloud, of the thick gloom, with a great voice, and he added, no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me, and it came about when you heard the voice. From the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. And we have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, then we shall die. The voice was so great, the scripture goes on to say, even Moses was full of fear and trembling. Even Moses was. The words that they heard literally cut through, not only physically, the whole area where Israel was a camp, and, and the words just proceeded on further out into the wilderness. If you probably would have been there and looked off you probably would have seen the sound waves literally echoing through as sweeping through the wilderness. They say that the sound of it was so great that the people literally said the sound is so great that it will kill us. It will like it was echoing going through their flesh and echoing off their bones. They could feel the sound of his words. It was a very dramatic and specific experience. We read tonight Psalms 29, which describes seven characteristics about the voice of God. And that psalm came as a result of the witnesses whom were there at the mountain. If you remember from our reading of Psalms 29, let me just mention a couple of things so you have the sense of what is this voice that they heard. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is in over many waters. It's like a great distant echoing of, of, a, of a bolt of lightning with its resulting thunder. And the, and the sound waves just echo off and, and vibrate and go every which way. I'll never forget the experience of sitting on the deck of an aircraft carrier at the end of the Vietnam War when we had that little interchange with the Cambodians. It was right at the end of the Vietnam War. The Cambodians hijacked a, a container ship. And I was on the carrier that was sent there to that island. And we went there to rescue those hostages. And that night after we had the fighting had basically calmed down and we gotten the, the Marines off the island, we watched uh, from the deck of the ship. I was off at the edge of the horizon and they dropped one of those special bombs that comes down in a parachute. And then some of those guys in the military probably know exactly what the thing is, but it, as I understand, it was, it makes a landing zone. They drop this thing; it goes off a treetop level, and it just clears everything out. It, it's a huge bomb, and when it went off, it was like it was a—I sh- mean, it was a shock to see the light of this thing go off. But the thing that really got me was I could see the sound wave, the concussion of the bomb moving across the ocean, coming at me. I'm, I'm standing on a ship, many miles away, and I'm watching the ocean. I'm watching this sound wave at the speed of sound coming right at me. And I'm like, you know, you don't really have a whole lot of time to think. You're just kind of observing. And this thing hit, and I'll never forget. It moved the flesh on my cheeks. I mean, it was—it just went right past this, and it was whoo, you know. And it just moved the, the flesh on my cheeks. You know, there's so much air pressure. There's so much concussion. They say that's the way God's voice was. He, every syllable he'd pronounce in the wave would move through the people. So it, was, it wasn't one instance. It was every, you know, you heard all the words I said. Can you imagine every syllable impacting you physically in such a way? I mean, you, you can't, you don't even have time to think. You're just experiencing the voice of God. It goes on to say further, the voice of the Lord is powerful. No kidding. The voice of the Lord is majestic like nothing else. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. You know, here in this country, we've seen where tornadoes come through and just ripped a tree apart. You know, the power of wind, what it would do. I'm telling you, the power of God's voice just rips a tree apart. Just shatters the tree if it was standing by you, a big cedar tree. You know what a big cedar tree looks like? Just shatters the tree. When he speaks, Um, there wasn't a whole lot of trees out there in the wilderness, thank goodness. There wouldn't have been any left. (laughs) It says the voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. It's like a bolt of lightning. It burns right through you. Remember that movie Raiders of the Lost Ark? You know when the light went right through them guys? That's like the voice of the Lord. ( suburbs) Right through you. Right through You, you. You couldn't stop and process this if you wanted to. It goes right through you. It's that powerful. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. That's what they say happened. They say the whole mountain while he was speaking was shaking. That rocks were falling off this mountain while he spoke. That was the reason they had to stay back from the mountain. You remember God's instruction, you don't touch, don't get too close. There was a reason for it, because there was going to be rocks falling off this mountain. He didn't want anybody to get hurt. He knew that stuff was just going to come down. It would not be able to stand with his voice. This is the one that really gets me. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve. You see a pregnant animal? Here's the voice of God. Drops. Drops that animal right now. Makes him give birth right now. I mean, that's how powerful, you know, his voice is. Pregnant lady standing out there, drop that kid right now. Wouldn't that be a sight? Can you now understand why the children of Israel came back and said, Moses, we don't want to hear the voice again? We don't want to hear anything, anything but not that. You go up, you talk to the Lord. Whatsoever He says to you, you come down and tell us, we'll do it. But we don't want to hear the voice of God again. There's a lot of commentary that, that comes from that. Part of it has to do with, you know, we say we truly want a relationship, the real substance of our faith to be God, to be the presence of God, to know his presence, to really, truly be intimate with him. But the fact of the matter is, there are some characteristics about God that you and I don't like. And we're not too comfortable with. He's just a little too holy for us. In fact, the scripture goes on to say, it says if you and I in our mortal frame came in the very presence of God, we would cease to exist. Because there is no unholiness in his presence. Our mortal frame wouldn't wouldn't know what to do. It says that no man has seen the face of God. I believe that's true. I believe what Moses was describing to us, the scene of, of being before the face of God, was speaking in a very direct fashion. But I also believe in the study of angelic majesties, there was another angel between him and the face of the Lord. It's an angel called Suriel, the angel of the face. And that's the reason why Moses came back, and his face glowed with the glory of God. He just spent just a little too much time, a little too close to the presence and the face of God, and he and, and he just had to change. And they had to put a. Can you imagine? They had to put a veil over him to protect the children of Israel, not to protect Moses, protect them. They couldn't stand. It's like looking into a popping flashbulb all the time. It was just it was just too much. The very presence of God, His very presence is just a little too much for us. You ever asked yourself, why did God put a veil? Why does He put a veil before Him? It's too much, too much for us to come directly. Even the high priest, he had to fill the whole chamber with smoke. Had to fill it with smoke before he went behind the veil on Yom Kippur. And they used to tie a line to him onto his ankle, so that if he went in there and he accidentally just saw a little too much and he dropped him dead, they could get him back out of there. Nobody had to go in and get dead trying to get him. Sometimes we we need to understand that God's presence really is way more powerful than than we realize. And the experience of the children of Israel being at the mountain, they got a first-hand taste of this. You don't want to get quite too close. I I want to draw near to the Lord. I want the Lord to draw near to me. But if if you're talking about being right in that presence, His glory is just so much greater than you can imagine. Psalms 29 says, as it describes the voice of God, and it says "From after God's voice speaks, from the temple, everything in the temple, the walls, the floor, the ark, the menorah, the table of showbread, the altar, every bit of it just goes out and says, Glory. That's how powerful his voice is. Things that you would think are inanimate objects speak the glory of God. By the way, that's what Yeshua said, wasn't it? You know when he came into Jerusalem last time? They were saying, Hosanna in the highest, God save us. And the religious rulers came over and said, get your disciples to stop from saying that. Stop stop doing that. He says, I tell you, if they don't say that, the rocks, the stones will call it out. Inanimate objects will call it out. Things that you wouldn't think would speak, that would have a voice, they will call it out. Because they have to respond to the voice of God. They have to respond to his real presence. In this lesson, What Moses is really trying to tell us, interestingly enough, is that if you're going to walk before the Lord, if you're going to walk correctly before the Lord, you have to hear this voice. You have to hear the voice. You have to come to terms with who God is, his very presence in your life. Yes, we're to follow these words, this book, Devarim, the words. But it says also that you're supposed to listen to the voice. You're to hear the voice. In fact, in uh, chapter 4 and verse 35, this is what he says. To you, it was shown that you might know that the Lord, he is God. And there is no other beside him. Out of the heavens, he let you hear his voice to discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire. And you heard his words from the midst of the fire. And he went on to say that that generation was to be witnesses. They were to go and they were to share with others. We have heard the voice of God from heaven. And as a result, they were not only supposed to give the instruction of the actual words that were shared, but they were to share something even more uh, about it. And that was that God was real. He really is God. There is no one like him. No one like him. He really is God. Not like God. God. And that when God speaks to you, he's not like a man. He's not like anything that you've ever imagined before. He's truly unique and special in who he is. And for those of us who would come to maturity, one of the things that we have to go through the experience of doing is, one, we have to be instructed in what did the Lord say. We have to come to terms of our own heart. Will we follow the instruction of what God has said, or shall we go after our own way? If we make the decision, yes, I will go the way of God. I will follow His Torah, His teaching. I will follow His commandments. Then there's another step that we have to do. That's what Moses is emphasizing here. we got to hear the voice. We have to sense God's presence. Because if you do not sense God's presence, and you just try to academically approach the subject, I guarantee you, you do not have the strength. You do not have the will. You do not have the spirit to do this. You must experience God. Now, how in the world can we do such a thing? Quite honestly. Really? How, you know, that generation got to hear the voice. We don't, you know, he doesn't call us to the mountain. We don't get to hear from the mountain. But it was at this time a certain agreement was made. An agreement was made between all those hearing this instruction of Moses and others, he said, that will follow, that we would be part of this agreement. The agreement was, okay, in exchange for not hearing God's voice from the mountain, we will permit someone to come from the mountain with the instruction of God, and whatsoever he teaches and says to us that God has said, if he speaks the word of God, we will do it. We will keep it. And the Lord liked this arrangement. In fact, it's in this portion. He said in verse 28 of chapter 5, And the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said, I have heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken to me. They have done well in all that they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart in them. Because yes, It says, and that they would keep my commandments. It would go well with them and with their sons forever. I heard their words. I wish they had a heart that went with them. But the arrangement was made. The arrangement was made that someone would come from the mountain and he would speak the word of the Lord. And that we committed, we were committed by our ancestors, by our fathers, including us as sons, that we would we would do it that way. So it's interesting. What we've always known this to be amongst the sages of Israel is this is the word, what we call the prophet. Because God promised through Moses that there would be a prophet who would come from the mountain, raised up amongst our countrymen, who would be like Moses, come and teach like Moses the words of Moses. He would come and he would speak the word of God, and then it would be required of us. So what makes it so compelling for us is is that we have this one who came, his name was Yeshua. He had a forerunner, John the baptizer. John was out in the wilderness and he was telling Israel that the kingdom of the Lord is at hand, that the Messiah is getting ready to come, causing a big stir. There in Israel, he's out in the wilderness, he's baptizing, he, he's getting people ready to go up to the big tabernacle. That's the reason why you get baptized, getting ready to go to the tabernacle. Getting ready to go to the mountain, that's the reason why we get baptized. We're getting ready to hear the voice from the mountain. That's what the children of Israel did. They took a bath before they heard the voice from the mountain. So John's out there, it's, everybody needs to take a bath. We're getting ready to hear the word from the mountain. So there was a bunch of religious leaders that went out and they said, John, are are you the prophet? Are you that voice? No, I'm not he. There's one greater than me who's coming. And he was a forerunner. He was one who said that, get ready, the voice is getting ready to come. The word of God is getting ready to come, just as Moses promised us, just as our ancestors agreed to do. And sure enough... Up walks Yeshua. And John, without hesitation, said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I was telling you about. And he comes and he asked to be baptized too. he says, Oh, it's me who needs to be baptized to you. And he said, No, no, just do it this way. So they did it. You know what happened? There was a voice from heaven. There was the voice of God. Just like back on the mountain, the voice. And it said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, Peter recounts for us in his last letter. He knows he's getting ready to die. And he makes comment to the fact that he knows that his mortal frame is soon to be ended. And he says, very interestingly, he says, brethren... He says, I come to you not with cleverly devised tales. I heard the voice. I heard the voice from heaven proclaim him to be his son. I laid hands on to him. I heard him with my ears. I saw him with my eyes. He was real and it really happened. He was trying to recount for us the voice He heard Not only that which Yeshua spoke and taught, being the word of the Lord, the further instruction of what Moses gave to us, but he heard the voice from heaven as well. You know what, brethren? You know, I read these stories, I think back and I think, boy, that was interesting. You know, that that would have been an interesting day there in the wilderness to hear God speak the Ten Commandments from the mountain and watch these sound waves go just rippling through the wilderness and bouncing off of us and... You know, I think I'd been just as afraid as my ancestors were. And that would have been a very interesting day, wouldn't it have? I mean, think about that for a moment. It would have been a very interesting day to be standing out there at the Jordan River, out there with John, the baptizers, have Yeshua come up and hear the voice of God speak that. It would have been real fascinating. You know what? I got news for you. The best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Because the scripture says, yet once more. Well, I shake not only the mountains, but the heavens themselves. He says, I'm going to talk. You're going to hear my voice one more time. I'm going to speak seven statements to you in the book of Revelation by the apostle John. It's called the seven thunders. The seven things that we hear from the voice of God. They come like thunders out of the heavens. It says it will travel across space. It will hit the earth. The whole earth will know about it. And when it when it shakes, it won't just shake the earth. It'll shake the whole heavens. It'll disturb everything in the creation. It won't be kind of a, you know, a local thing there. It'll be it'll be a global thing when it happens. And it says that every man, every person will be like Moses, full of fear and trembling. So that when the Messiah gets ready to step back down on the earth, there won't be anybody here on the earth going, gee, I wonder what's going on today. It says that every knee will bow. Believer, unbeliever, people never even thought about it. It says every knee will bow and proclaim, He is the Lord. He really is the Lord. And it will be because of the voice that they'll have heard from heaven. For us, the instruction that we have at this point, since we're in between those events, we're after the event at the mountain and we're before the event that will be happening in the future. It says that you and I are supposed to learn this voice. That we are to hear the words and apply them and we're to recognize the presence of of God in our lives. We're to come to terms with it. We're to be oriented to it, if you will, so that when that next event happens, you know, we're not standing there going, what in the world's going on? You know, that we know what's happening. We're a part of it. That that's our destiny to be a part of it. Just as there was one generation that had a destiny to stand at the base of Mount Sinai, to hear God's covenant made with all people's the children of Israel as being their ambassadors to begin with. And these instructions that are commandments that will be forever, and they are forever, they are not subject to negotiation. They are not going to get repealed by anyone and will be the law into the future. And we have that event before us, and and we have the next event which is coming up, which is the coming of the Lord, that we're supposed to be oriented to this. We're supposed to learn the lessons of the past and get ready for the future. We're supposed to be the wise generation that learns from the previous mistakes so that we don't make those mistakes. Because whereas this whole story begins with a nation of slaves, it's supposed to end with the bride of the Messiah without spot, blemish, or wrinkle. And if you'll just take spiritual stock with me right now, you would have to agree with me right now, we're not quite there yet. We're somewhere in the middle. And how do we get ready? How do we transition? How do we go from that to what the Lord wants us to be? It says you and I have to come to terms with the voice. We have to hear the voice. We have to be moved by the presence of God. We actually have to develop a healthy fear of the Lord. A sense of recognizing the tonal quality of His voice so that when we hear His voice, we'll say, Oh, that's the Lord. No question about it. That's the Lord. And... Listen to the words and apply the words. Receive the instruction. Do it. Keep it. I find it fascinating that of all the words that we have in Scripture for religious men to deal with, it's the words that are actually spoken of by God that we have the most difficulty with. Of the Ten Commandments, there's more instruction given about the Sabbath, the Fourth Commandment, than any of the other instructions. And even amongst religious men of this day, that's still the item that we debate the most over. That was the one he gave the most instruction about. And we still wrestle with it and struggle with it. And within some of our New Covenant brethren, they've literally ripped the First Commandment out, taken the Fourth Commandment out and changed it, and kind of just rewrote them. You know, if you do that... If you take the first commandment out and the fourth commandment, those are the only ones that really identify the God that spoke this. If you take that out and you change them, you can apply these principles to any God you want. And they sound good. And the very issue that we're dealing with in this day is the very issue that was being dealt with in the day that Moses wrote this and was a part of this. Who's really God? Who really is God? Is God... The sun, moon, the stars, certain animals walking around, bugs or snakes. Is God uh, a man? Is he Pharaoh? Is he, is he some piece of tree or wood we carve out? Is he some precious stone that's like a piece of gravel to, you know, to God, but we made him into a God? How about us? Is this us? Or is there really a God? A God that is unlike anything here. That's really still the same issue. In this world today, many men, the thing they're struggling with is, who's really God in my life? Is it me? Or is it the one true God? And there's a whole lot of religious people going around saying, well, God is this thing. We'll define God for you, and we'll all line up, and we'll all do it this way. I guess God's actual word he spoke is not good enough for us, is it? Actually, it's not. Most men would prefer to hear a man. When somebody has a need, and we have it in our congregation, I'm not chastising you, brother. I'm just coming to the reality of where we're at. When we have a need, what do we do? We go call one of our brethren, one of our poor brethren. We don't ask God who has all the riches of the universe and can heal and all kinds of, we don't ask him first. We go to our brethren, oh, brother, I've got a need. I'm hurting. Uh, Could you help me? Well, you know, we've got a God who's just got resources like you can't believe. Well, I've got this dilemma in my life. I need to know the will of God. What do you you think, brother? (laughs) Oh, I love that one. What is the will of God for my life? So we ask a man. Why don't we ask God? He has a voice. But maybe we're a little afraid and we don't want to hear the voice. Maybe you really don't want to hear what God would say. It's probably too powerful a voice. It might actually tell you to do something, compel you to do something you don't want to do. And that's usually the problem. We really don't want to do what God says. So let's go talk to a bunch of men. We'll get a committee formed, and then we'll decide what God would have said had we asked him. One of our responsibilities, like Moses was doing, one of our responsibilities as, as spiritual leaders to you is to get every time you have a need, get you closer to God. We say to you, and I'm sure you've heard it from the elders of this congregation. Brother, you know, I perceive that the reason you're having this problem is the Lord wants you to learn something. I believe the Lord has caused this to happen. He's permitted this to happen. What is the lesson? What do you think the Lord is trying to teach us here? I can tell you what the predominant lesson is. Call upon the Lord. That's usually nine times out of ten. That's what the Lord is trying to teach us. Ask me. Ask me. Don't sit around and complain about what you got. Ask me. I'm here. I really am present in your life. Did you know the Lord is sitting in this assembly? Right now. He's aware of us being here. He's aware of what we're thinking about. Anything that we need from him, all we have to do is ask. He's that interested in us. That's the part that I think that a lot of us struggle with. I, you know, God wouldn't be interested in me. I'm just, I'm some semi-handsome, ugly fellow, um, little short, stumpy-looking fellow, not really all that smart compared to other men in the world, kind of mediocre, actually, going through. And the universe is a big place that God has made. And he, the, the king of the universe wouldn't be interested in anything. I, I'm, I'm worse than a speck of dust. I mean, you know, come on. He's not going to take any time out for me. Only the Lord says he's that big and he is interested and he is involved and he wants to be there and he wants us to recognize his voice. Yeshua specifically said, my sheep hear my voice, they hear me. And it's a wonderful and exhilarating experience for you spiritually for you to suddenly realize the Lord's right there with you. He really does love you. He really is present. He is paying attention. And he's involved in your life. As you've heard me say before, there are no more happenstances in my life. There are no more coincidences. I am absolutely convinced that God is walking with me present. Every day, every person I meet, in fact, it's really an interesting kind of interchange with me. As I meet new people, I ask the Lord. I said, Lord, you know this guy. I don't know this guy. What, what, What do you got going on with this guy's life? What's happening with him? And, and then you learn to hear the voice and you walk and you begin to recognize his presence and, and then no longer do you have this concern like the children of Israel had when things got a little tough when they began to test the Lord. And by the way, the very last instruction of this portion is, it says, brethren, don't test the Lord. It's right here in this last portion. He says, if you'll learn this lesson about hearing the voice of God... You won't have this problem of testing the Lord. You know what it was that he was referring to the children of Israel when they said they tested the Lord? They literally spoke out loud with their voices and said, Is the Lord present with us? We don't think he's here. This is a God that spoke from the mountain. And they're asking, Are you even present, God? The Lord got a little upset with that. I mean, what do I got to do? If I actually showed up in person, in my real person, if I came down off the mountain, you wouldn't exist. There are limits to how close you can get to me. I'm trying to manifest myself. I'm also trying to love you and not kill you instantly. Have you got it yet? Are you figuring this out, just how big I really am? and how interested I am in you. But the children of Israel tested the Lord. Is the Lord really present with us? And you know what? We're told and we're said, don't do that. In our own lives, when we go back and the things that happen to us in our daily week, and so I bet you're like me, I bet there's moments when you say, Lord, where are you? Where are you on this situation? Right there. Right there. And that's the core issue, did you know, with Israel? To this day, the number one spiritual question that is in modern Israel today is the question of, is the Lord present with us? You know what it came from? The Holocaust. That's the number one question of the Holocaust survivors. Where were you, Lord? When all of us were going through the gas chambers, where were you? Quite a question, isn't it? Pretty serious question. The only answer I've ever heard given to that, and I don't know that that's fully answers all of the question, but the only one that's ever made sense to me is that I believe that Yeshua was standing in the gas chambers weeping. I believe that's where he was. We could have avoided all this if our ancestors had recognized and listened to the voice. But we don't want to listen to the voice. We don't want to have to deal with the Lord and His power. He might change us. We'd have to be a different people. We'd have to become a lot more like Him instead of what we want to be. And to this day, even amongst the New Covenant, brethren, as issues begin to happen, I've heard our own brethren saying, well, what? Where is the Lord? Where, where are you? Especially when you face mortality and you see the death of loved ones. Where are you then, Lord? Where are you there? Of course, the Lord says that the death of his saints is precious to him. Precious. The, um, the fact of the matter is life is precious to the Lord. Every bit of it. Every bit and part of it. And what we should be doing is coming to terms with that, recognizing God's presence in our midst. It's part of our maturing process. It's part of the instruction that is given to us for this. Let me read to you the final words of how Moses concludes this particular portion uh, to kind of close us off here. It's in chapter 7, verse 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples for you were the fewest. Of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore that the Lord, your God, He is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to a thousand generation with those who love him and keep his commandments but repays those who hate him to their faces to destroy them. He will not delay with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, you shall keep the commandment and the statutes and the judgments which I am commanding you today to do them. If we're going to Be the people of God. If we're going to walk uprightly before the eternal. If we're going to make the transition from this mortal frame into his kingdom. There are two things that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to come to terms with his presence. The presence of God. And we're going to have to get over this urge that we don't want to hear God. And we don't want to be in his presence. And number two, we're going to have to listen to the words that he said And do them. It is for the first reason, for the first reason that others will choose not to go into the kingdom and choose not to be a part of eternity with us because the real reason is that they've rejected the person of God. It's not an issue or debate over theology, it's they just don't like God. And that will be the reason that they'll be dealt with. It's like what I've always said about our faith, brethren. It's not what we know, it's who we know. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the instruction of Moses. Thank you, Lord, for your great plan to choose us out of many peoples so that we might be a shining example of who you are, that we might be a people who would recognize, hear your voice. But, Lord, we would ask not only that we'd have that experience of hearing your voice and sensing your presence, but, Lord, that we might be an instructed people. We might be a people who follow your words and receive your loving instruction. We know that your instruction has to do with life, the good things of life. And we would choose life, Lord, the good things of life. And by following a father's instruction, we know that's the best path to live and to enjoy life, especially from our heavenly father. So we thank you Lord, for your instruction. We thank you for your love of your family. And Lord, we're glad we're happy to be part of your family. And we want to be a part. We want to be found faithful before you. Believing in you, recognizing you, sensing your presence. Lord, I would ask in this congregation that you would stir every one of our hearts. Give us a sense, Lord, of what it's like to hear your voice. Renew within us the energy and the spirit within us, Lord, you know, to seek you and choose you. Give us the strength, Lord, to walk uprightly before you. Not our physical strength, not by our will, Lord, but rather by your strength, so it'll be genuine and real, experienced and enjoyed. And Lord, that you would be our teacher, that we would sense your wisdom and your understanding far beyond that of other men. Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be in your kingdom, when the issues will be decided. You'll be the government. You'll be the judge of all men, And that we will come to you knowing full well that your mercy endures forever. And that we'll be treated rightly and fairly and correctly. And there'll be no more missing the mark, no more transgression, Lord, and consequences thereafter. But, Lord, rather blessings and life and all the good things that you have planned for us. We look forward to that day, Lord. But in the meantime, Lord, instruct us and teach us and encourage us to be lights in this world to encourage others as well, to look toward you. Let us be like Joshua and Caleb and call upon our brethren to trust you and go forward into the land in the future. And it's in Yeshua's name we pray this. Amen. For more information about Lion and Land Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is post office box 720 968 Norman, Oklahoma 73070. Our web address is net. Thank you.